Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. I'm learning. Okay. Well, I, I think the uh, only dangerous answers are, are either going back to sleep or driving uh, because it's a concern that uh, you have chest pain that the uh, cause could be cardiac, in which case uh, the coughing is not a bad idea. But as long as, as long as you're doing that, along with calling 911, uh, so that you'd have. Uh, nowadays, you they do have a treatment that can dissolve some of the clots and also get emergency stenting, so that it is now treatable. Uh, uh, on the other hand, if you think you have indigestion, it turns out to be a heart attack and you don't do anything, then you are likely to die. And so it's better to be embarrassed by finding out that you have uh, GERDs or indigestion uh, than to uh, die and not know one or the other. And, and if, yes, John? Yeah, I had a, a case um... I was in my classroom and uh, my, my chest started to, to flutter. It's like, a, it's almost, you know, it almost felt like a arrhythmia or something like that. But, um, and I was so nervous. Yeah, I was so nervous. I called uh, Kaiser and I was holding the phone like this for like 20 minutes waiting to, to hear from uh, Kaiser. And then when he picked up, they said, well, is, is your left arm numb? And it was because I was holding the phone for 20 minutes, right? <laughs> so they said, go to the hospital. So I went down to the office. I said, look, I'm having chest pains. He said, uh, then he said, don't drive. I, I left and drove up to, uh, to Holy Cross Hospital. But it turned out to be high blood pressure. But it, it wasn't a heart attack or anything. Thank, thank goodness. But I, I didn't know I had uh, high blood pressure until that time. So from that point on, and they kept me, they kept me for like six hours to make sure that everything was stable. And the, the concern about driving is that you could, you could die in the, en route. And that's why they want you to get a uh, call an ambulance, call 911, so that if something happens to you en route, they can treat you. Uh, they, resuscitate you and do whatever is necessary. Uh, so could any concerns? An could you take an aspirin? You can take, take anything you want on the way to, in the ambulance on the way. Yeah, yeah, on the way. You can if you like. Uh, aspirin's not going to hurt you. Uh, it wouldn't help? I thought no, they said the aspirin's help. It's not going to help cardiac thrombosis. Oh, OK. You take the aspirin to prevent that. Uh, yeah, I know. But I had heard one time they were saying that you should take one if you if you felt like you were having a heart attack. I, that isn't going to help you very much, but you could take an aspirin. It's all right. It won't hurt you, but it's okay. not likely to help you. Okay. Any other thoughts about uh, that? I know uh, some people think that... Uh, Chest pain is uh, 
nothing to worry about, but it's 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 life or death. Many wow. people have actually just dropped dead, uh, but uh, so when you call one of the most serious uh, concerns you can have. What'd you say? So when you call nine one one, what do they do? Send an ambulance for you or something? Yes, or absolutely, absolutely, yes. Uh, just like if you have uh, symptoms of a stroke, uh, if you suddenly go blind or if you suddenly uh, have the inability to speak or s suddenly uh, have a drooping on, on the side of your face, these are signs, uh, signs of a stroke. And the same treatment that they use to dissolve the clots for the coronary artery disease, they also do for a stroke. And both of those are situations in which you need to be taken care of immediately because with every minute, you lose about a million brain cells with a stroke. Yeah. And, with, uh, uh, and the sooner you can get treatment for uh, a stroke that is caused by uh, ischemia, the better off you are. And, and the sooner you can get treatment for uh, coronary artery disease and, and thrombosis, either stent or uh, dissolving the clot, uh, the, the more likely you are to survive. When Dr. Kellner? Yes. Yeah, I have a question. Um, the, the question is, if you have somebody in your house that's trained in CPR, can you, you can call 911 while you're waiting for the ambulance to get there, is that correct? Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And usually, when you tell them you have chest pain, they'll get there as quickly as possible. But if you have somebody who is uh, okay. you can wait with them for the ambulance. Any other thoughts or concerns about the answer I gave you? Well, when you lose a million brain cells every minute. Um, I just looked up how many brain cells does an average human have, and it's 86 billion. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there are more, you know, there was an article that talked about are there more brain cells or are there are more stars in the sky? <laughs> and apparently, there are more stars in the sky. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, are you suggesting that you can afford to lose no. a million brain cells? No, he was not suggesting that. <laughs> he was just giving you accurate data, that's all. But uh, uh, think about a million uh, uh, brain cells a minute. That That's after uh, an hour, you, nothing much left. So. Hmm. Okay, the other thing we talked about last week was uh, about the relaxants and hair straighteners, their relationship to uh, breast cancer and uh, actually to ovarian cancer as well. But there's also data that uh, indicates that those relaxers also give you four times more likely the incidence of uterine cancer as well. So that, uh, and they mentioned in those articles, as you had mentioned that uh, uh, they think that it is more prevalent among our group 
because our women tend to use the straightness and hair relaxes more than other groups. Is that accurate? And we use it more than other ethnic groups? I don't think so. Yes, we I do. Think, probably. I, I think so because, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so because we were trying to be more culture conditioned to the other, um, you know, the, the straight mm -hmm. hair. I think mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. You know, we were always told about our hair and, you know, how it cur so curly or kinky until we mm -hmm. discovered that the curly and kinkiness of the hair is, is one of the um, virtues of having our hair and how versatile it is. And that's when the natural hair movement just decided to blossom. I think after a Chris Rock uh, movie called Good Hair, <laughs> right. uh, when he was doing that movie regarding perms. And um, I think that's, as I said, when the natural hair just kind of blew up and made people realize, hey, you know, I, I can do something differently with my hair. And um, that's what I think we, you know, we were just do, doing straightening and perms for so long, just trying to, uh, you know, get cultural conditions to straight hair. Well, I just say it wasn't always cultural condition. You couldn't get a job if you had an afro or braids, uh, mm -hmm. even in the military. It was for women, particularly. Uh, it was, we, I remember counseling. <laughs> Counselors would tell young ladies when they would go for interviews, you cannot go unless your hair is in a certain way because they will not hire you. And there was a law, and even in District of Columbia, you could not have braids and apply mm -hmm. and work for the um, federal government. So mm -hmm. it wasn't just a cultural thing, it was a way of getting a job and surviving. So our hair had to look straight. And you could not go out, especially when the 60s and Afros came in and all that kind of stuff. That was just for a while. So Black women, we were been conditioned to have perms because that was much easier for us to have a perm with all that lie and everything than having your hair head burned up by being straightened because you got tired of being burnt. That's true. And well, then, we, uh, then we lost our hair because we put too much lie on it. Then you end up like I had a bad curl one time, a jerry curl, and I went out and lost half of my hair, well, three-fourths of my hair, and a girlfriend said it looked like the cat sucked on it because it was so short. But, you know, we lose our hair, we go bald, then we put on wigs, and et cetera. And that is so we could maintain our jobs, please, our culture. Please, please hold up my desk, please, please hold up my desk, please. Yes, you're right, Carol. And from a young, very young age, you know, we always had the straightening comb, like you said. We, we, and perms were much easier as we got older. But and I, I, I do it now because I can't get a regular comb through my hair uh, unless I unless I put something on it, a straightening <laughs> comb or lie or something. Right. And you're right. It was a way of life. I know in my family. All of the females, uh, no chemicals, no perms uh, from the olders, my sisters, as well as the nieces. Mm -hmm. But guess who was getting a perm? <laughs> However, I've stopped Carol. Yeah. Well, I'm I have. getting my perm. So I, we'll see I gave how myself that. one this past Saturday, so I have not stopped. <laughs> and I've been doing it since, since the 20s. 
Right. It, it's it, you're conditioned to do that. It's um, but I don't leave it on long based on appearance and what you're used to. So I haven't in a few months, actually. But um, anyway, we'll see how it goes. You can't get a, a job as a TV anchor unless you have a perm. But now it's changed. Our day of time has changed and we're slowly rolling and the younger and the, the laws have been rewritten. So we can have our hair in any way that we want. And the natural is really coming in and it's just what you got, what you're getting used to. And I'm slowly like getting gray hair. I was conditioned. I didn't want anyone to see it. <laughs> And I kept dying it, but then I found out that dying hair is bad for you just as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's what you condition and what you're free and comfortable. So one day I'm going to be like my friends, Sylvia and all of them, and just be <laughs> free and <laughs> be and, and, I, and I've done it a couple of times and I used to have a fro and curl and so I'm slowly ebbing to that, but I have to see how the gray hair looks like that. Some people, it looks beautiful. So I just, I'm slowly going, and I hope I'll reach there before the end of life. Well, there isn't a whole lot of uh, data that says dying is as dangerous as the relaxing. Mm -hmm. So dying is, is, is less, less dangerous than uh, relaxing. Well, not all dyeing, most commercial dyeing products are dangerous and have dangerous chemicals, except for natural organic henna. Uh, the roots of henna go back to ancient civilizations. Uh, the Egyptians use uh, henna. Uh, you know, if you look at Egyptian hairstyle, uh, uh, that was, henna was a major part of their makeup. But uh, when we talk about natural hairstyle, um, it's, it's, quote, natural, because if you have an afro, you pick it out, you comb it. And kinky hair is not designed to be either combed or picked. Natural hairstyle for kinky hair is uh, you don't comb it or pick it, the hair locks. And when it locks, it doesn't need to be cut. Uh, you know, like you look at all animals on the planet, they don't cut their hair except for, with the exception of sheep that are breed that are bred for their for their wool. Uh, they're bred long hair, and so that hair has to be cut. Other than that, uh, cutting is you know animals they'll they'll shed feathers, fur, whatever. But as far as cutting, uh, natural hair is good to go. Uh, some of the advantages of of natural hair that we don't recognize is that. The hair, okay, uh, kinky hair is hair that's basically flat. Uh, you have Caucasian hair that is oval. You have Asian hair that's almost totally round. The, the more flat it is, the more the hair curls. When it curls, it doesn't lay flat against the skin, which means that you get airflow. Uh, the advantage of kinky hair is that the airflow keeps it doesn't the, the hair doesn't lay against the skin you get airflow and so it keeps uh wherever the hair is it keeps it warmer in cold climates it keeps it uh cooler in hot climates and so it's um it's you know uh yeah it, as far as temperature temperature control temperature control it works it works the absolute best
That's John Tatum. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Daryl. Okay. Um, well, like I say, you know, one of the amazing things, like we, you know, once you train, you, you can train your hair by combing it, by picking it, by hot combing it, by permanent. And when you train your hair, it, you can train it to lose a lot of the curl. And uh, when you do, you're going to have to be in a position to cut it, to trim it. Uh, black women spend more of their income on hair care than any group in the world. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's a drain on, on your personal economy, on a group economy and on the health with all the downsides that uh, the chemicals that, that we put in our hair, what they do with, you know, with the cancer outcomes, uh, uh, endocrine, endocrinological outcome, adverse outcomes. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, we don't we don't love our hair. We've been trained and conditioned not to love our hair, to think that good hair is straight hair, and we don't recognize the advantages and also the downsides of of straight hair as opposed to the hair that we were born with. Very interesting topic. Yes, um, when I was in my twenties, I guess my my late twenties, um, my my girlfriend put a a, a perm in my hair and it burned. And I think that was the, uh, the, the source or the beginning of my, my baldness, my male baldness. And I had, uh, I had a Jerry curl at one time. It was really, was, it was a carefree curl. And, um, you know, it, it, it looked pretty good, you know, but, um, you know, I, I started uh, going ball right at that spot. So that's that's the result you see right now. That's, <laughs> so. But that's, there, there was an age group in the 50s and 60s where men, what we call conk, they conk their hair and uh, the stars and everything. I forgot what it was that famous singer that he had a conk all the time. That King Cole did for a while. And exactly, Sammy Davis. And Sammy Davis, all little, of little Richard, little Richard, yeah. a lot of them, and because that was the style, they were able to make it in the music industry because of that. So it your cousin, huh? Your so, cousin, uh, yeah, my cousin Charles Edward. Uh huh. So that was the style. Men did it, but men must be a little smarter because. They stopped, I think it's just a couple these days, but they stopped doing that. And men, their hair is natural. The women, we had to hold on to it because if we wanted to work or anything like that, the society didn't hold men to the line like it did the women. Another um, advantage of uh, kinky hair is that it goes up. Straight hair falls down. When it falls down, it can fall into your eyes. You have to trim it. It gets in the way. Um, so another advantage of, you know, we all human beings started out in Africa with kinky hair, dark skin, and there's been some evolution along the way. But uh, most of us are looking like God originally made us. And uh, there's some advantages of that. You know, some of the some of the evolutionary changes have been environment. Some of it have been close sanguinal breeding. Breeding, uh, you have uh, like a lot of islands, 
where there's cousin breeding just because they don't have the diversity and mate selection. Uh, close sanguinal breeding will, will straighten the hair just as a, as a genetic outcome of that. Um, but, you know, it's like uh, going up. All praises go up to God. Yeah, but I don't want my hair going up. But okay. Uh, okay. Uh, another issue that we talked about uh, for quite a while is sitting and uh, the fact that uh, it's a habit that uh, is associated mostly with watching television and uh, lack of exercise. But sometimes we don't appreciate the fact that sitting also contributes to dementia and that uh, it is one of the greatest hazards of, of sitting. Of course, there are many hazards of sitting. And they say sitting is like, uh, like smoking because it has so many disadvantages. But we often don't talk much about the fact that it increases dementia. Any thoughts about that, Any Thoughts about changing your sitting postures and exercising every, every 15 minutes to avoid the negative effects of sitting? Yeah, I thought about having the, the whole group stand up at least once an hour <laughs> while we're having our session, because sometimes we're, we're here for two hours sitting. Should be every 15 minutes or so, actually at least do repeatable exercises. Well, okay, I, my everybody comment. stand, every, on the count of three, everybody stand. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> and do your pedal exercises. That, that uh, muscle in your calf is uh, uh, like, a, like the heart muscle for the leg. Remember Dr. Ivy taught us that. Yeah, I'm thinking that I'm thinking that television watching is a major cause of sitting. Computers is a major cause. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, they, they, they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, John, I guess just start the uh I'm slide. glad my husband walked in right now. Say what you said again about um every yeah. 15 minutes getting up, Reverend Dr. Calendar. Well, I think that uh, there's very good evidence that the calf muscles uh, exercise and keep the blood circulating. So about every 15 minutes, you should uh, do either pedal exercises or, as she said, get up and down. Doing the pedal exercises with the calf muscles acting like the heart for the uh, venous circulation uh, keeps, keeps your body uh, flowing and keeps the blood flowing, circulating and prevents clots and is healthy. Uh, and where, where sitting, sitting contributes to dementia and other uh, things that are not healthy. I, thank you. I wanted my husband to hear that. I don't know whether it's going to resonate, but I wanted him to hear it from a doctor. Right. And as uh, Daryl said, uh, uh, TV contributes dramatically to the sitting and sitting uh, it's not good for you. Now, this is an article that I thought that was, was of great interest to us since many of us are in the category of the senior uh, and some of us are in the elderly situation. Mm. And so the question is, should you risk ma major surgery? 
Hmm. And of course, this this study looks at people who are 65 and older uh, and looks at uh, the morbidity and mortality rates of people who are older than 65, people who are older than 80. And it talks about the conditions that uh, uh, make you wonder if you're 90 or older, you have six times likely to die after surgery than if you're 65 to 69. Hmm. And of course, what we're talking about is a field that is, is, is not developed as much as it should, it's geriatric surgery, which is surgery of the, uh, of the older, of seniors. Okay. We talked about, we've had obesity on talking about uh, geriatric medicine, but there's also a special place for geriatric surgery, for surgery of seniors. And uh, we've been talking about situations like frailty in which you uh, either have lost weight or you're not exercising and you, your muscle strength is weak. Uh, and so that for many, if you are frail, it's advised that you not have surgery until you have exercise and, and you uh, uh, are no longer in the category of being frail. Because people who are older than 80 and people who are frail uh, are not likely to survive uh, surgeries. Uh, and those <clears throat> people who fit in that category, sometimes they have to be uh, got, gotten into better shape before they actually have surgery or either they do not recommend surgery at all. Dr. Uh, Calendar. Yes. Um, I was just thinking like, okay, you talk about um, seniors, you know, with, you know, being fragile. Before surgery, does the doctors, you know, suggest taking like a bone density test and just to see where you are in terms of your, your bone structure? Well, actually, bone density is, 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 uh, is not a major part of the uh, diagnosis of frailty, because mm -hmm. uh, frailty really means uh, uh, are you able to walk around? Are you, do you exercise? Uh, of course, if, you, if, you, if your bone density is low, then you're likely to get fractures. <laughs> but frailty is more, more about uh, the fact whether you are, while you're old, whether you're a healthy old person or somebody who's not in good health. And so <clears throat> uh, bone density will tell you about the condition of your bones, but doesn't necessarily tell you about the, mm -hmm. whether you're fragile or not. And frail is a condition that uh, we now know uh, is not uh, associated with good survival after surgery. So that uh, if you, in point of fact, are not eating well, if you're losing weight, if you're weak, you're not exercising, uh, and you fall in the category of fragile, then you need to be have physical therapy and, and get away from the fragile state before you have surgery uh, or not have surgery at all. Dr. Callender, what are the categories? Like you said, fragile. I, I know at one time they had rated had rated my parents. What are, I I can't remember what they were. The, cat, the category of fragile means that either you've lost weight or you are uh, either you lost weight, you're not exercising, and they do special tests just to see the ability to walk around. Uh, and if you 
uh, found that you've lost weight, that you are not able to get around. They then consider you as fragile and they therefore uh, do things to get you out of that category before you get operated upon. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you're, if your mind is not sharp, if you're uh, losing weight, if you're weak, uh, then they put you in the category of fragile. And fragile is a category that when you get into that you should do not have elective surgery uh, if you're fragile. Right. Emergency surgery is, 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 is another, another thing. But for elective surgery, uh, if you're fragile, then you should no longer be fragile uh, when you have surgery. And, and the, the key category of fragility is uh, whether you lost weight in the last three to six months, mm -hmm. uh, whether you exercise, and whether you uh, get around uh, uh, on your own. Okay. And I think that this is something that uh, we had not recognized up until the last 10 years or so to realize the, that it's, it's not the aging itself that is as much a problem as it is whether you fill into the category of being fragile. Yeah, they had rated my father as being robust one time. Yeah, robust is a good category. That's the category you want to be in. What other categories do they have? Well, that's the, those, those are the only, only category. Those are the only two. Really, fragile is the one that the contraindication for you being having elective surgery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you fit in that category, then uh, you, you don't get elective surgery. Uh, if you need emergency surgery, then uh, uh, what they do is they operate on you and then they try to get you away from that fragile situation by giving you more protein and building you up and giving you physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Dr. Callender, what about muscular atrophy. Muscular atrophy is part of a fragile state. And uh, that's that uh, when you have, uh, you don't exercise, you will automatically undergo muscular atrophy. As you age, you undergo muscular atrophy. So that, that is the, the category of, of, of fragility or frailty. And that's why exercise is so important. And uh, as you go down this article, you see that there's a, a category of uh, people who are over 90 who uh, uh, want to have uh, surgeries uh, because uh, if you find out that you have a cancer, uh, which is more dangerous for you to have the surgery or you, uh, you to have the cancer? And the answer to that question is determined by whether you uh, are active uh, whether you're exercised, whether you're eating, and uh, whether you're you're out of the category of, of fragile or frailty, and, and as you, you said, your relative was regarded as robust. That's the other category, but uh, uh, the one category that that uh, says you shouldn't have surgery is if you fall in the category of being fragile, especially in the over sixty-five. Uh, 
population. When you're over 90 and you're in the uh, elderly situation, then it becomes even more important for you to have exercise and not to be losing weight, not have muscular atrophy. Dr. Callender, you mentioned to us a case where a, a lady was over 90, I believe, and the question was whether she should have uh, uterine surgery or not, you know, cancer removed from her uterus. Do you remember that case? Yeah, and, and the answer is uh, really, uh, if they have a cancer, then uh, you can have them undergo physical therapy, uh, have them eat and, and give them uh, protein diets to try to get them away from the category of fragility. Uh, and, and when they are not fragile, that's the time that you can proceed with the surgery. Dr. Callender, my mother developed uh, breast cancer at the age of 90. And uh, they asked, we talked about getting surgery and she went and got, she got surgery and she lived another, another four years. She didn't die from breast cancer, but it never even occurred to us that we, that she wouldn't have the surgery. She had the, uh, it was a, um, we thought it was just a, a, a you know, a scratch on her breast, but, uh, and we watched, they watched it for a couple months and then they, they got a biopsy and found out it was uh, cancer. So they removed the lump, but uh, she did, she did very well in uh, surgery. She, she healed well. And um, she actually forgot that she had had the surgery after, after a few months. So I think it kind of when they when they put her under, I think that uh, it took some of her memory. I think maybe it pushed her her uh, into dementia. Do you think that happens? Yes, there's a lot of uh, data that suggests that uh, for some seniors, when they undergo surgery, it does uh, uh, interfere with the uh, cognitive aspects, and it is reported that some people after surgery are not the same mentally as they right. were after surgery. Mm. Right. So as you get older, uh, uh, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, I think there's another article that talks about eating healthy <clears throat> and uh, so many advantages to eating healthy and exercising uh, that uh, uh, puts you in a better situation to undergo geriatric surgery. And that's what's called geriatric surgery. And one of the things that they, they do evaluate is your uh, mental state, your cognitive state to see if you are delirious or, or you have dementia. Would Dr. Callender, would that uh, surgery that um, she was talking about be elective, or would that just be that with the cancer? Would that be something? Cancer surgery uh, gets into the category of uh, elective surgery, uh, oh. but but when you're talking about a, a, a cancer that 
it's going to kill you, then you need to decide on which is more dangerous, the surgery or the cancer. And uh, if you're in eating healthy and, uh, and you're uh, exercising, then the risk of surgery is not as high as if you are frail. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the category that you want to avoid being in, which can be by uh, exercising and uh, keeping your weight uh, stable. I know I, I, my mother too had surgery, but hers was, I guess, had to be done. She had an aneurysm in her stomach. Well, that's an emergency, right? Mm -hmm. And she also had uh, blocked arteries, so they had to do the heart first and then come back and do the aneurysm. And she right, was right. like 89 and 90 when all that was done. Um, and she survived that? Yes, yes. And even after that, she had a fall and broke her hip, I think, at 92 or 3. She survived that. She lived till almost 98. So. Yeah. <laughs> Some people you can't kill, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. She, she went through all the things that older people uh, consider hazardous yes. and survived it all. That's survived it all. Yeah. Any other questions about uh, having surgery as an, as an elderly person? You know, diverticulitis and the complications of diverticular disease becomes a very emergent issue uh, and uh, has to be treated aggressively. So it, it's good to stay in and to eat healthy, as we talk about, and to exercise and meditate appropriately. So you're in the best shape you can be. I'm, I'm thinking seriously myself now about having back surgery. Oh my, I have a pinched nerve in my back. So um, that's painful, and so many of us have that kind of problem. Yeah. Uh, and so the best thing to do is to eat well and uh, and exercise, so that when you have whatever surgery you have. You can successfully survive it. Dr. Callender, um, are you, I know it's not stated here, but I don't know why it's in my mind that the more weight you have, the better you are as far as surgery or, because they were saying she's wearing skinny jeans as if being thin um, makes you frail rather than if you have a lot of, a little bit of what they say, meat on you, a little bit of fat will help you um, sustain surgery more. Is that true or just something that's misconceived? Well, uh, the, the truth of the matter is that the category of fragile and frailty means that you've lost weight over the last three to six months. So, uh, and uh, they don't talk much about uh, being obese and those kinds of things because not too many uh, elderly fit into that category. Uh, so that uh, uh, as, as long as you're not losing weight, that category of fragility is that you're losing weight over the last three to six months. And uh, that applies, implies that your metabolism is going in the wrong direction. And that needs to be corrected before you have any surgery. <clears throat> so it doesn't 
speak to whether or not you come into it uh, overweight or underweight, but it does speak to the fact that over the last three months or so, whether you have been losing weight. And it doesn't talk about the category of, uh, of the obese patient, because we already know that the obese patient is more associated with complications than the patients who are not obese. Okay, I, my, now I, my sister has been losing weight. She she really was should be in the category of obese, but she's been losing weight probably for the last year. And is, is it intentional? No, she says she really isn't trying to, but she says her doctor says she's fine when she goes but she has been losing weight, but she really was, um, you know, overweight. So maybe, maybe they think that she needed to lose the weight. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, if she was morbidly obese, she, was she morbidly obese or just obese? She probably was up to what, 250? Shoot, 300. Yeah. Yes, so she's morbidly obese, yeah. Yeah. So which I is not healthy. And I guess as she ages, losing the weight is a good thing. Yeah, right, yeah. If you're morbidly obese, absolutely, yes. Okay, okay, okay. that's good. Any, any other comments or questions? We go to the next slide. Now, I, I thought this was an article that uh, refers to something that uh, uh, Mr. Buchanan talked about in terms of his observations as he was doing his deep sea diving and looking at the Great Barrier Reef, which uh, uh, is thought to be the basis for the livelihood of the fish industry. Mm -hmm. And there's evidence that uh, uh, things are not as healthy as they used to be. And uh, of course, the bigger fish eat the smaller fish and uh, if the smaller fish aren't there, then that's going to be a problem. Uh, John, did you want to make any other comments about the barrier reefs? Well, I haven't been there, but the reefs that I've seen, that I revisited, uh, they've been degraded. And that's from, I think, from global warming. So uh, how this could affect all of us is you know, focusing a little bit more on recycling and using less energy and, you know, just trying to be more environment. You know, sometimes the things that go on in our lives cause us to be so self-centered. But when, when you look at the, even look at the Potomac, all the trash that's in the Potomac, you know, is uh, kind of brings it to uh, up to the forefront, you know, all the the plastic and everything that that we use, all that affects the uh, the the reefs uh, all over the world. And, well, go no no don't go back up to that paragraph that says if the Great Barrier Reef is in danger, then every coral reef in the world is in danger. Yeah. And so, uh, which goes back to the point that you were making uh, that uh, uh, we need to rethink a lot of the things we're doing, or is it too late? You know, it, 
it look, look at the quality of, of that reef right there. That looks terrible. It looks like, yeah. you know, where uh, it should be uh, vibrant colors and, you know, yellows and greens and blues, all kind of, uh, of it looks like a, a wasteland. And yeah. uh, that, that's where, you know, like you said, the, the tiny fish uh, eat the coral and the medium-sized fish eat the tiny fish and, you know, and we end up eating the big, big fish. Right. So it's, uh, it's something that, that we can start to think about uh, as far as, like I said, recycling and our use of energy, electric vehicles, things like that. Bad commentary. Hmm. Are we doing it enough about climate? No. You know, I remember when uh, I started talking about this about 20 years ago, nobody listened. Mm -hmm. Now, people are listening, but uh, is, it, is it too late? Or are we willing to change? That's the question. One major thing that we could all do for climate is to stop eating meat because that uh, that adds carbon dioxide to the air that changes the atmosphere and promotes global warming. Okay, next slide, please. Uh, this is an interesting article because uh, up until now, uh, Act, sexually active gay men cannot donate blood. And uh, the question is, if they are HIV negative, is there a reason why this should be the case? And so as they are looking at more and more studies, they're trying to identify tests to make it possible for gay men to uh, healthy gay men to uh, donate blood. But right now, uh, that is not the situation. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a famous blood donor, 100 donations. And every single time I go in to donate, I have to answer all these questions, a series of questions. And a bunch of them are about, you know, uh, uh, having a partner of the same sex, male, male or female. Um, but, uh, you know, I, in fact, I'm supposed to go in, I think this next week to, to donate, but if there's any change <laughs> in that uh, series of questions, I'll, I'll definitely let you know, but it's, they definitely, <laughs> definitely banned. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, well yeah. many, many people have, uh, have gotten HIV from blood transfusions. Yeah. That's why it started in the first place. Remember Arthur Ashe got mm -hmm. his HIV from blood transfusions. Mm -hmm. And that's when it started, yeah. So they're saying gay men, but like uh, John just said, what about gay women? Are they allowed to donate? Uh, as far as I know, it, it, I, I know about the gay men. I don't know the situation about the women. Do you know, John? Uh, I think on, on the uh, survey, it asked if you had a, a partner of the same sex. So I think that covers both. 
Right. Okay. So it's gonna be interesting to see uh, when uh, they're talking about change. No, we ain't talking about Okay, uh, next article. Now, this is interesting because this year, uh, you know, every year they, they change the, the uh, new vaccine. And uh, this is one of the first years I've, I've read where there's a good match. Uh, and so it's really advisable this year to take the vaccine because I think last year, uh, although the vaccine uh, was available, it wasn't as effective. It was only about 50% effective. Okay. Uh, but this year it looks like uh, uh, this is uh, a good year to take the vaccine because uh, uh, the uh, antibodies are affecting the, the virus that's out there. So if you haven't got your flu vaccine yet, which you should have, uh, now's the time to get it. And remember, the if you're over 65, it's the uh, double dose that you want to get. Dr. Callender, um, I, it's, is it this year you're talking about or 2023? Because I thought uh, everything that was coming out was saying that the flu vaccine, I mean, uh, the COVID vaccine was 60% effective at the, at the best. No, no, I was talking about the flu vaccine. Oh, okay. The vaccine sorry. last year was 50%. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And this year, they're saying that the, uh, the, the, the uh, flu viruses that are out there are very susceptible to the vaccine. So it uh, will be better than last year. Although last year was a down year because everybody was wearing masks and social isolating. So the flu was not uh, a big problem last year, but this year expected to be different. So that the importance of getting the flu vaccine would be uh, even more important. And even with the uh, uh, problematic 50%, uh, it still protected you from hospitalizations and mortality. Okay. And uh, one of the problems is that uh, vaccinations are down, which is uh, concerning because if the flu hits hard, then people will die. And, and and the group that is affected is the group that is not vaccinated. I hope everybody's gotten the flu vaccine. Remember? Oh yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, we 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 during uh, the. Week of Thanksgiving, double the number of admissions. And COVID hospitalizations have increased as well. Uh, but uh, it's clear nobody's wearing masks. I just went to a meeting in uh, 
West Palm Beach, Florida. And I think we had about 600 people in the meeting and less than five had masks. And this is a medical meeting. And less than five people had masks. So, so uh, it's gonna be interesting to see whether this combination, combination of RSV or flu or COVID is gonna be impacted by the fact that we've gotten away from what shortened uh, the flu season last year. Dr. Callender, at that convention, did they discuss the mask? Because I guess people look no. at my, the doctors don't even use the mask and why should we? <laughs> These were, this is a medical convention. And mm -hmm. uh, as I said, uh, less than five uh, had masks so, and nobody discussed it at all. So, but uh, you know, I, and then in the airport, the uh, all the people, the staff, the airport staff wore masks, but almost nobody else. And it, it reminds us that the, it's a high dose vaccine for seniors. So, always remember to ask for the the high dose for the flu. Now this is a frightening article in a sense because we've abandoned the things that helped us and uh, LA has uh, returned to indoor mandate because they had 10,000 new cases along with 29 deaths. So they're starting to go back to the mass mandate. Um, whether that will occur in other locations, uh, I'm doubting it personally, based on what I've seen. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why it's unlikely is that more than 80% of the population is already vaccinated, but that leaves 20% of the population that is Vulnerable. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I just got back from a international trip and uh, in the airport and on the plane. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say almost nobody had a mask on. Uh, what about the staff, airport staff? The staff is like maybe one fifth of the staff, maybe. Hmm. Uh, the, um, the the staff on the plane uh, did not have masks. I had mine on the whole time unless I was eating. You know, and I was okay. You know, uh, traveling on the plane, but in the airport, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of well. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I keep wearing mine, so. I have a, a performance on Sunday, and all the, the 
the choir and the orchestra has to have masks on and we have to get temperature checked in order to get into the church. <laughs> That's like all kinds. Yeah, I, I know some of the choir members who, who sing with their masks down. And uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, I went to church Sunday as well, and they coming into the church, you had to do your hands and they took your temperature. But once you got in the church, it was maybe a mass, maybe not. It was a few. Really? Our <laughs> church still requires a mass. No, this particular church didn't. <laughs> so. Yeah. What about some of your others? Your churches still require masks? John, I think my church still has masks. Yeah, my church is optional. Optional. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the church staff had masks on, but they didn't require that the people did. Oh, okay. Yes, my church required masks. Yeah. Um, I'm at four different churches and they all <laughs> they all require masks. So um now lately the choirs that I'm praying for, they'll take their masks off to sing, and then after they get through singing, then they put their mask on. And the minister <laughs> that is preaching, he takes his mask off to preach or give announcements and then he puts it back on. So they're generally following the same routine, but everybody that's in the congregation have their mask on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the bivalent uh, vaccination seems to be desirable, seems to be working. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in the uh, January, February, March. Hmm. This is an interesting uh, article that talks about uh, isolation and the impact it has on teenage brains. Although saying it's three years older than uh, teenagers, that I never, I didn't think that was that remarkable, but researchers did. I mean, to say somebody's 15, the brain looks like 18. I mean, you know, that's still pretty young, so. Dr. Callender, um, there were three teenagers that died from fentanyl, fentanyl overdose recently. Like I'm talking about within the last several months. Yeah, fentanyl is still killing people of all ages. Sad to hear about. One of the things is that many of the people don't even know that they're receiving fentanyl. So they don't wake up. We know that in the teenagers, anxiety and uh, depression is uh, increased dramatically. 
and we think this is related to the isolation that they have been associated with. Uh, Dr. Callender, two of them were found at home and one was found in a car in the apartment complex that they lived in. The one that one of them died at Hyattsville High School. And that's where my uh, son teach. That particular one died about 10 months ago. And so I think he started working around 10 months ago, didn't he, Carol? Carol must be gone, but anyway, yeah. That, that That's sad if they died at home. Well, I mean, sad if they died anywhere, but at home, I think is a bit different from out in the car. So you're talking about locally, right? This this is an yeah. epidemic in, in LA. They're uh, all over the streets, all over the street corners, uh, people smoking it smoking fentanyl <laughs> and they can't stop. So they just keep doing it until they die. It's very, uh, very sad. Oh my goodness. These three cases that I'm talking about are in this particular area, you know, like Prince George's County and the counties in Virginia. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more than three. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. Now, this is a real tragic article that looks at uh, people who have long COVID and they find that uh, the system is not ready. Hmm. And uh, they talk hmm. about the fact that uh, we don't really have good treatment for long COVID. And we don't have clinics that address long COVID. And so uh, the rejection uh, and long waits and then no appropriate treatment. So you know, it's one thing to have COVID and get over it. But for those who have lingering uh, brain fog and other such conditions, headaches, uh, lung fibrosis, and uh, other things, it's, it's a very sad situation because we don't have, we don't have the medication to treat it and we don't have clinics, many clinics. You look at four month waits for clinics, visits, uh, that's a huge time to wait. So, so it's an, it's an issue that, uh, we have 16 million adults with long COVID, but we have not set up a system that addresses it satisfactorily. So we've had a, over a million Americans die from COVID, and uh, now we have 16 million Americans living with long COVID, and we haven't developed a system that effectively takes care of it. Do you know anybody with long COVID? I don't. 
yeah, my cousin Rodney still has some long COVID symptoms. He calls it COVID brain uh, forgetfulness. Is this the one who was on dialysis? Yes. Has he, has he had a transplant yet? Uh, no, his, uh, he's off dialysis and is, uh, oh, wonderful. Oh, good. he's still, he's looking for a kidney, but, uh, he doesn't, uh, require dialysis right now. That's good. That's good to hear. I have a neighbor with long COVID and he, he, uh, he still can't taste or smell and he's losing a lot of weight because he doesn't want to eat and he doesn't sleep well. And he um, is very forgetful. Yeah. Boy, it's tough. What's his age? Uh, 60. Hmm. Do, do you know if he was vaccinated? Yeah, he was vaccinated. He got COVID. Uh, he was a mailman. So hmm. he was one of the first people to get COVID. And he recovered, and then uh, he got the vaccination, and then he caught COVID again, and this is the second time. Mm. He wow. got caught be in between vaccines, but he's gotten vaccines and everything. But he was my walking partner, and um, he's reluctant to walk a lot, but I try to encourage him to, to walk and try to not let him discourage me because at one point when he didn't walk, I wouldn't. I said, oh, well, let me let me make myself. How am I encourage him if I can't encourage myself? Mm -hmm. So he's not getting good. I don't think he's getting good, good treatment. His doctor kind of dismisses him. Well, that, that seems to be a general situation because they really don't know how to treat it. That's one of the problems. Well, just let me say for the record that Joe Biden is the current president and the year is 2022. <laughs> and um, my name is John Tatum and I'm at the um, Capital Region hospital. How about yes. that? Okay. You got it. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go to the next one. It's a little more cheerful than this one. Uh, depression. Now this, this may be even more horrifying is that uh, this is in the UK. So that's, that's why Included and want to frighten anybody. It's not in the United States, <laughs> but they uh, killed uh, a number of people who were supposed to be positive, that they were negative, and so they spread the disease, and also twenty people died because they were told that they were COVID negative when they were COVID positive, and. Uh, not much you can do about it. It's the lab made mistake. And uh, 
people have died as a consequence. And I guess there's always a chance to get false negatives, but uh, false negatives are very costly. Because the people who are, who are positive, who are false negatives, can either die or they can spread disease. So it, it's uh, double whammy. And, and, so, also, and also they are, uh, petri dishes for new viruses. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that's disconcerting. Uh, uh, as is this article, the new COVID wave, because we're talking about uh, COVID is over. But uh, I look at this data that says something different. Hospitalization jumped 25% in recent days. Positive tests. And remember last week we talked about that uh, most of the people who are dying from COVID have been vaccinated. So, so we have an issue that uh, makes us very uncomfortable to, 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 to relax and get away from masking and social isolation. But in point in fact, the virus is still with us. When we look at the numbers, see that uh, we still have daily new hospital admi admissions and we still have deaths. And remember last week we talked about the group that was most affected by mortalities uh, were the middle-aged group, group from 25 to 54. And the senior group, which previously had been uh, affected most, uh, most of them were vaccinated and are safer. But what does it mean is the question. It, it is tragic that uh, we would like lower than 70 in world countries. It's the richest country in the world, lower than 70 world countries. That's kind of frightening. And that figure of less than 15%, we got the bivalent. Uh, Vaccine is horrifying. So the vaccines are preventing hospitalizations, but uh, what will happen when we get cold weather and holiday gatherings? That's the question. We saw what happened with uh, Thanksgiving. What's going to happen with uh, Christmas and New Year's? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have the groups of immunocompromised people. So it's, uh, 
it's more than a notion that uh, uh, the COVID is still with us. And to think that we have more COVID cases than any place in the world, and yet fewer people have received the bivalent vaccines is kind of scary. Any comment or thoughts about, about these uh, data? I think I think you said it best. It's just scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Just keep wearing your mask. That's what I say. And as and the point they're making here also is that the previously effective monoclonal antibodies for the other variant was useful, but not anymore with the new variants so that monoclonal antibody is no longer effective. And Paxlovid is, uh, works. Of course, it uh, has a long list of drugs you can't use with it, but it is effective. It's probably the only thing that is effective for the new variants. So what are we going to do about this situation where we got, uh, we got RSV, we've got flu, and we've got COVID. So, so we had to be mindful of this as we go into the holiday season. And we should be vaccinated for the flu and COVID and uh, so forth. Are they, now, are they working now on a new um, vaccine for the new variant? I haven't seen any activity. I'm sure they are, but I haven't read anything about it. Mary Ellen is doing a test on one of the new vaccines. I mean, the That's vaccine the for the new virus, yeah. That's RSV, because they don't have a vaccine for that. No, they don't have one, but uh, what the answer to the question is, are they working on something? And according to Mary Ellen, they're working on her. Yeah, but that, I thought that was for RSV, not for COVID. Yeah, that's for RSV. I just got the shot yesterday. Yeah, that's, that's for RSV, not COVID. I was talking about the COVID. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was talking about the uh, RSV. Well, it's going to be interesting to, to see. We'll learn a lot about uh, the triple viral. Yeah, the call the water can be open for hours. Yeah. Although the news is good for the uh, fact that the uh, Flu virus is, is great. One time. It's very interesting to see what happens this winter. Okay. 
the question is what happens in 2023 when uh, the uh, government stops paying for the vaccines? Mm. Or will COVID, or will uh, the president ensure that uh, uh, that it's covered? I suspect he he will. So let's hope that's the situation. Yeah.